Hello, and again, welcome to BitDev. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me is... Uh, my name is Brendan York. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, usually with people that I like know face to face, how do we know each other? <laughs> uh, when you and I met uh, UCO, yeah, theory class. I think it was either two or three or four. One of the, I, I know it wasn't one. Mm. I think I had uh, Natalie Searing for one. And okay, yeah. I think I think I remember having uh, McGrill with you. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that was probably three or four. Yeah. One or of three those. and four. Yeah. One. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, and if I'm like best friends with your brother. Mm. Uh, that's kind of been like a, the main way of us kind of communicating. I think at this point. Yeah. And I feel like there's there's people around that or like that I've gotten to know through UCO or through whatever that I'm like I want to get to know this person a little bit more and I just haven't had the chance to because this is how I get to know people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, which is like hours long conversations about deep shit. So okay. This yeah. Is, this is what the podcast is for. I mean, I, yeah, I love, <laughs> I love deep shit. So that's, I'm all about it. Um, so I guess, who are you and what do you do? Um, so I, uh, I do a couple things. Um, my artistic endeavors are, are mainly restricted to music, uh, like playing guitar, uh, composing. And then I, uh, I also do, uh, photography. Um, I was sort of in education for a while. Mm -hmm. I did do private lessons and yeah. I taught, um, at cash in public schools for a little bit, but, cool. um, but it's at, at this point, it's mainly composition when it comes to music and photography and uh, I guess yeah. some videography and, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of those things. particularly. Yeah. <laughs> How I guess which of these is your primary one? Um, well, guitar playing is is definitely the the number one thing that I do. Um, and then composition probably comes second. Mm -hmm. Uh and then the uh, photography kind of arose from those things because I actually mm -hmm. bought a camera to make videos uh, for like I do a lot of cover videos. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and when I do have the time to make videos of my own recordings, which I haven't really done a lot of. But <laughs> um, when I do do that, I, uh, I do that. And uh, the camera, when I bought it, it kind of opened up this sort of I, this door in my mind, I guess. It was kind of like, OK, I have this like complex piece of technology now and mm -hmm. I can use that. I, I, I don't know. I just suddenly realized that I could do photography. So yeah. that got, I actually got, I, I get, I'm somebody who tends to get really obsessive over things. Mm -hmm. So, uh, there was a, there was a, a good six month period where I basically <laughs> that took over photography was just going out and exploring and taking pictures of anything I could find. So, yeah. And then you find out that like Oklahoma City is not very interesting for photography, and so uh, well, like you get yeah, like the few places, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, there, there's some there's some truth to that. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely have explored some of the same locations uh, several times. <laughs> yeah, um, and I've I've actually I've got a series of different photos as it progresses throughout the year. So I've got like winter photos, and mm -hmm. I do a lot of nature photography. Yeah, um, and I've done a lot of downtown photography, and I don't know. It's just it was more like. Uh, music is such a time consuming process, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and you put a ton of time into it. And then at the end you get like a minute of like reward, you know, <laughs> yeah. like a tiny little snippet. Mm -hmm. And photography was one of those things I could go out for an entire day and take pictures for, you know, four or five hours and then come mm -hmm. back and have like this huge yeah. like compilation of all these things that I think are beautiful or interesting, you know? So yeah. that was, that was a huge ju juxtaposition. Mm -hmm. um, from, from music and just being creative in that way versus yeah, yeah. being in the other way. So, yeah, I think I've, I've heard someone describe that like visual art and like paintings and photography are like decorations for space, but music is decoration for time. Yeah. Uh, that's, <laughs> I think that's an accurate way of just of, of portraying it for sure. <laughs> yeah. Use, using that to segue into how did you get started in music? Okay. So, um, my, my, father was a guitar player uh, and he kind of you know he uh, exposed me to a lot of music growing up um i i listened to a lot of metallica and uh mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a big metalhead uh yeah. you know um <laughs> but uh in a lot of country when i was younger and he did a lot of like things where he would like while we were riding in the car he kind of asked me like who's this artist or who's this artist mm -hmm. you know and i think that that did a pretty good job of forcing me to like critically 
uh, yeah. listen at a young age, even though I didn't know that's what I was doing. I just, <laughs> uh, and, and I definitely leaned in the Metallica direction more probably. I, mm-hmm. I became sort of, uh, way more important to me. Um, and then, um, um, fast forward several years, I, uh, our, my family and I moved to Mexico, um, for a little while. And I got my first guitar, like real guitar lesson in Mexico. Mm. Um, I was probably like 13 at the time, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was really difficult because (laughs) they use a different uh, music system, obviously. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, the guy was translating his native language of Spanish to English. So it it was a really confusing mess for a young 13-year-old mind of of Mm -hmm. my own. And uh, so after we uh, returned to the United States from Mexico... I just kind of had this, like, I knew I wanted to play music. I, mm-hmm. I always had that desire. Um, but I basically just like begged my parents to get me an acoustic guitar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so like that Christmas I got one and I kind of just made the decision that I was going to teach myself because mm-hmm. at that point I didn't really have exposure to people in my family that were really musically minded. And yeah. so yeah, I just uh, real quick. What what was that guitar, and do you still have it? I do have it still. <laughs> it was a Fender, uh, just a, a cheap hundred dollar Fender steel string go. acoustic. <laughs> uh, I, ironically, I uh, I actually like marked with a silver sharpie in the the major and minor or major scale, I nice. guess, and minor. Yeah, uh, all like in like I think it was C major mm-hmm. all, all over the entire neck, just so I could figure it out. And now I look back on that and I cringe a little bit, <laughs> like thinking about like the fact that I look at that guitar and see those little marks on it and everything. Yeah, but, but it's, it's kind of a piece of your history showing yeah, yeah. Like how you learned. Yeah, it's got a it's got a piece a piece of blue painter's tape on it too, uh, mm-hmm. from when I I was you know young middle school teenager boy wanted to be really cool and put it over my back like like the country music guitar players or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, and then the strap fell off and it fell down and busted <laughs> the corner of it really bad yeah so i've i've uh i've dubbed it old blue uh, since then you know <laughs> nice but, but yeah um i uh i proceeded to teach myself guitar for about five years mm. and in that time period i music was such like a mystery to me yeah it was such an enigma <laughs> um and i didn't really uh I don't know. I didn't, I didn't know what it was or how it worked. I just was playing and doing a lot by ear. Mm-hmm. I got pretty technically uh, competent um, just because I was doing a lot of exercise, like yeah. just, just exercises, technical exercises. Mm-hmm. Cause that's really all I knew how to like practice. Yeah. Um, but as you know, after that, I actually decided to go to music school once mm-hmm. I graduated high school and that kind of, Helped a ton, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So, were you in bands and stuff? Through like yeah, middle school, high yeah, school? yeah. I, uh, I Those won't, awful, awful uh, bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna plug the band, yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I was in a terrible band uh, in high school. I started it with uh, one of my my good friends at the time. Um, we we did this two year endeavor of playing <laughs> really hardcore, brutal death metal music, mm-hmm. and uh, we I mean we had some good shows. We I, I got yeah. to play live for a lot of people and. Mm-hmm. Um, played the with the conservatory, some, I'm guessing. Oh yeah. We played, <laughs> we played uh, with Whitechapel at the conservatory and Carnifex and cool. all those guys, you know, so it was like the heavy stuff. And I was the long haired metal kid that <laughs> wore the vibrant black t-shirts mm-hmm. with all the heavy metal lettering all over it and everything, you know? Yeah. So that was kind of like my inception, I guess my beginning of my musical career. Yeah. Every two, every teenager has to like let that aggression out yeah. and all of the music leading teenagers have a screamo band in, in like yeah. middle school, high school. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Especially for us. I mean, that was, I, uh, I went to high school, um, from my freshman year to my junior year in a small town in Chandler, Oklahoma. Mm. Um, and I knew the whole time I was playing guitar a lot and I only had really only had like one friend that played guitar who mm. was really good. Ty Christie, by the way, great guitar player. <laughs> um, uh, and then my senior year, we moved to Edmond. And that was when I kind of, we went from like a, a class, like a graduating class of like a hundred mm-hmm. to like a thousand, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, or something. I don't know. I don't remember exactly what it was, but uh, that was when I kind of thought, okay, I can find people here mm-hmm. that will, that will be able to play music. And me and a couple guys, we managed to do it and practiced every week and just did whatever we could do to, yeah. But like I said, it, it's that band stuff was so <laughs> drama filled and yeah, yeah. it's like having four girlfriends, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> like that's what it was. Like everybody's fighting and I'm a bit of a mediator. So <laughs> I was always trying to, you know, stop the drama. Right. right. 
Yeah. So I guess what drove your decision to go to music school, especially for classical guitar? Because that's that's the that's a leap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. OK. So um, my mindset at the time was like uh, I knew that I had to go into music mm. um, just because I that was like I was extremely passionate um, and that passion is really not died very much. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, in my mind, I I lacked so much knowledge of theory and uh, everything was still so mysterious, even after so many years of teaching myself, like mm -hmm. I could play fast and I could. But a lot of that fast playing was a lot is very nonsensical, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um I or not knowing what that fast playing means. Yeah, yeah. I just I couldn't read you a scale. I couldn't tell you what notes were. Or mm -hmm. Like I mean, I just knew that that sounds heavy or that sounds yeah, yeah. fast and interesting or whatever <laughs> it was. Uh, and so I kind of I just knew that I needed to have uh, the information source to 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 learn what I wanted to learn. And mm -hmm. um, and I thought that classical like I I went. I remember going to UCO for the first time and like auditioning and trying to figure out where I wanted to go. And I actually met with Scott Johnson mm -hmm. at the time, who was the guitar professor at UCO. Yeah. Um, and I met with him and I kind of just explained to him what I wanted to do. And I showed him a video of me playing. And then he, he posed me the question, well, would you rather like uh, uh, play with a band or would you want, do you want to play all the music yourself? Mm -hmm. And that was sort of the, I guess, defining moment. Yeah, yeah. It was like, well, I think I would rather, kind of take this more polyphonic approach and try to play all the parts on myself. Mm. And so that's what kind of drove me towards the classical. Yeah. Um, and that's what classical guitar is like, just play every part. Uh, yeah. On, all on the parts it. by yourself. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, and then I, I also, in my own mind thought, you know, classical, there's a lot of like, uh, foundation there that, mm. that would, I think would help me with what I really want to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, which I, I mean, I still, even to this day, I still, I, even after, uh, music school after the classical thing everything yeah i've still kind of kind of been drawn back to my roots which yeah. is playing progressive stuff and mm -hmm. more interesting kind of like uh you know, just stuff that's all over the board and and, yeah. and so like, i needed a good foundation and i thought that classical music would be a good idea for that so yeah definitely so i guess do you feel like you i guess got what you wanted because I, I feel like i mean especially for for both of us now being out of music school, yeah, it, it does kind of seem like you get a whole bunch of tools, but not a lot of like what to do with it. Yes. So it's like, I guess, what did you get out of music school? I uh, obtained uh, a substantial amount of theoretical knowledge, mm -hmm. uh, uh, way more than I, at least relatively speaking, like compared mm -hmm. to what I was before, I, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, I was just using my ear and I still, even to this day, I actually still mostly use my ear, mm -hmm. but now I know what a chord is. Now I know what a scale is. Now I know what, uh, what the difference between like melodic minor and harmonic minor yeah, is yeah. or something, you know, just things like that. And that, uh, that has helped me tremendously, uh, knowing what an arpeggio is mm -hmm. and, and being able to translate that into my own music has been, uh, extremely rewarding for my writing process just because mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm so it doesn't seem like this like insurmountable mountain yeah you know it's it there's some sense to it and there's some logic to it so it, yeah. it makes it a lot easier um do you feel like your playing would have remained the same or I guess how did how did classical guitar school shape how you play the guitar okay so um uh classical guitar is obviously mostly finger picking mm -hmm. that changed my guitar playing entirely. <laughs> yeah i mean going from only being able to play with a pick and mm -hmm. you know i could i could pick fast and i could alternate pick and do all those things but um can being sweet able, pick bro i can sweep pick, <laughs> yes <laughs> it, it's a it's a little bit of an overused right. uh, thing especially if it's like an entire phrase is sweet picking but <laughs> i do I, it's a really thing to, it's a nice thing to be used uh, sparingly yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah the finger picking stuff uh, that that changed my approach tremendously like being able to uh just take chords and then play like uh melodies and Mm -hmm. chord foundations like at the same time and uh yeah that, that helped tremendously yeah. what was the most challenging piece that you had to learn oh that's a hard decision um 
I there was a there was a Bach piece, a cello suite that was pretty difficult. Mm. That was probably I always describe Bach like uh, it's like when you're playing Bach, it's not like other pieces because mm. uh, it's it feels to me like riding on a train track, hmm. and and if you fall off the train, like there's no way to get back on. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's how I always thought of it, and mm. that 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 was what it was for me. It was playing Bach was uh, I think I played uh, the jig from uh cello suite number two maybe maybe three i can't remember exactly right now (laughs) um but i played that piece it was about uh four minutes long i think and that was one that i practiced like to the nth degree i Mm. i I think of uh i played it for my senior recital and uh for a year uh, preceding that i practiced it probably two hours a day um and that was just one of those ones that was like, it's kind of crazy because like the build up, the practice yeah, yeah. for that senior recital. And then mm-hmm. you finally do it. It was like that four minutes is over instantaneously. Yeah. And that build up, you like, you're <laughs> thinking about it every day, all it's the time. such for, a blur. Yeah. Yeah. And it just happens. It's over in a second. And like the, the rewarding feeling I expected wasn't really mm-hmm. something that happened. It was more just kind of mm-hmm. like, well, you did all right. Like, good job. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> so I guess, yeah. You're just like pass. Yeah. Be it. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and I was just kind of like, okay, well, I was like, I mean, I was, I was ecstatic that I didn't mm. mess it up or anything, but yeah, that was a, that was, that was one of the harder pieces. Um, there was a, uh, a tango that I played that was pretty difficult because it was outside mm. of something that I'm used to playing. Yeah, yeah. And there was a lot of like um, polyrhythmic stuff, it's like in the same hand mm-hmm. that you kind of had to do, like uh, three over two with like thumb and fingers and stuff yeah, like yeah. that, which w- was bizarre to me at the time. Now looking mm-hmm. back, it's not that big of a deal, but. Uh, that Tango, uh, Tango and Sky by Roland Diaz. That mm. was a pretty, pretty tough one. Yeah. I feel like kind of with guitar, there's also like strangely simple sounding pieces that are just, that just wreck you. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Especially with a classical guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, what was one? I mean, like Romanza comes to mind. It's not like crazy difficult. Uh, that was one of the first pieces I learned, uh, I, I actually, this is actually an interesting thing. Um, <laughs> so I had been in a band and I was used to performing live mm-hmm. uh, with my my friends and playing on stage by, by like with a group and with a lot of distortion on our guitars. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. um, then I remember we had our first mock recital uh, for classical guitar and I'd been, it was the first piece that I learned for classical guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't even remember the name it at all. Matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> But I remember going up there thinking like I was hot shit and you yeah. know, like, oh, this would be an easy thing. I'm playing for five guys. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Like they're all guitar players. So that makes the changes the dynamic a little bit. But, um, I, uh, yeah, I played this piece for them and froze in the middle and completely stopped and realized this is an entirely different beast yeah. playing <laughs> in a quiet room in front of people who know what you're doing. And mm-hmm. they're not just like regular people that, you know, just consume music. Like, right. Uh, or like drunk or. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have no one else around you to kind of like yeah. vibe off their energy. Like yeah. it's just you. Yeah. It's just you. <laughs> and, there's, and the distortion, there's no distortion. It's like you, you make a slight little mistake with your finger and you make a string sound or something. And yeah. It like lights you up inside. And there's <laughs> adrenaline just like pours into your veins. You know? Oh yeah. So that was, yeah, that was it. That was an eye opening experience for sure. It was uh, ugh, intense. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so how did your musical influences change from before going to music school, after going to music school, and like now even way after, and kind of looking back and seeing yeah. how? No, I can I can totally address this con- this uh, question. So um, <laughs> so yeah, I uh, before music school, mm-hmm. I was very much like single minded in in my like what I consumed. Uh, mm-hmm. I was just this, I loved the heaviest of the heaviest tech death, like, mm-hmm. uh, brutal, you know, stuff basically. <laughs> it was really, uh, and a lot of that was just because I, I got that feeling from it, you know, that angsty kind of like, uh, kind of feeling. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, my actual, my first year of college was actually at ACM. Okay. Uh, and I did uh, performance guitar there. And they kind of began to explain like scales to us and mm. like modes and all these things. And I had this sort of epiphany uh, <laughs> from going from my young brain who looked at music like this big, big, uh, 
mystery, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, uh, I realized that all music is the same. Yeah. That was like, the, that was the epiphany. Yeah. All, all the metal that I play, all the notes are the same as like the country mm-hmm. music we listen to or, or, uh, the classical music or all of it. It's yeah. just all built on like Western foundation, you know, rules or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, when I made that realization, my perspective changed completely. I basically became open to everything. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. anything was cool if it was cool kind of a deal. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, looking back now, uh, like I just wanted the heaviest of the heaviest. Now it's more like what color can you draw forth? Like mm-hmm. what, uh, I mean, music is such like a visceral experience. Uh, not, you know, I, I, I like lyrics and stuff, but, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely more like into instrumental music Yeah, yeah. because it, it sort of paints a picture and, mm-hmm. uh, and like the two aren't mutually exclusive, but, yeah. but, mm-hmm. um, so anything that can really draw forth that color that I'm looking for, uh, just, yeah, yeah that's, I mean, um, I was into those heavy death metal bands for a long time and now I listen to. I mean, you and I've talked about this before, yeah, but yeah. I love Jacob Collier. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I don't, yeah, if anybody has never heard of him, check him out. But um, and then I still I, I don't really consume metal as much these days. Uh, I still have like a few bands that I really get into, mm-hmm. like Meshuga and uh, Between the Bear and Me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I do consume way more. Uh, like jazz stuff and um, electronic stuff and yeah, um, just I mean it's all more mostly guitar oriented. But yeah, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> um, I guess that that's kind of what is your relationship with other instruments outside of guitar? Okay, so uh, I think piano is probably the greatest instrument. <laughs> uh, like, you know, I love guitar, but guitar is kind of like a Rubik's cube and it does, mm. it doesn't, it's not really logically laid out uh, mm-hmm. in a way that's, that makes sense of it. Like from the, the get go. Yeah. Piano, it's like straightforward as, you know, as, as it gets. Push button, get note. Yeah. Push button, get note. <laughs> there's no calluses. There's no developing like the ability to play a scale. It's just like, you just play it right off the bat. And, and there's not like two of the same note on the mm. instrument like you can't play <laughs> yeah. like i, I could play a c4 and like you know a couple different mm. locations or whatever on the guitar but um so yeah uh like and then honestly like i always thought that the, the most like the biggest grandest instruments were always the greatest right yeah. so like <laughs> like pipe organ yeah and uh like big choirs mm-hmm. was like oh that was yeah yeah that was way too intense for my brain sometimes <laughs> at times you know like oh my gosh I think that probably alludes to why I like Jacob Collier so much is because he's essentially a one man choir. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the harmony that you get in that in the overtones and everything. It's just yeah, it's mind blowing. So yeah, and okay, so after kind of going off of the deep end in musical complexity, yeah, uh, is there such a thing as bad music? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, you, I mean. You can say that music's like um, it's been done before, and mm-hmm. you can say that music's uh, like you can say music's unappealing, yeah, you know, or that it's uh, it's jarring, or that it's like <laughs> you know, it can be it can be uh, what's the word? It can push you away from it, I mm-hmm. guess, but that doesn't mean it's inherently bad. Just like because mm-hmm. it's it's so subjective, yeah, and um, you know, even like something that is made to be purposefully bad mm-hmm. could still be like seen as like interesting yeah uh, and i think that the the like i always so- sought out not even like good music i always thought that like the best way to describe what i was looking for was interesting music yeah uh because um interest is is, is a much more accurate way of portraying it mm-hmm. just because like some of the best music I've ever found in my life, I did not immediately appreciate. Yeah. You know, um, I, I definitely, it took some effort to, mm. to like it, but when I did, it was like the most rewarding feeling. Yeah. Once you actually get to that point, once you overcome that mountain and kind of begin to appreciate it, that was, that was the best. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> absolutely. And then the other kind of usual question is, uh, do you separate art from the artist? I think you have to, uh, to some degree, uh, sometimes it's hard. Um, 
in, in, in a positive and negative way, mm-hmm. uh, because there are artists who are like, you think are really great people and that makes you like their music more. And there are mm-hmm. people, there are artists who think they may not be so great of a person, Yeah, but you still appreciate like their work. And like, I mean, someone who I wholeheartedly appreciate who has not been given such good, uh, <laughs> press is, uh, Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I went through a phase where I was obsessed with his music. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's, I mean, I, I can't draw forth a ton of examples, but, um, I mean, like Jacob Collar comes up again because, uh, I, I, it's hard to separate like who he is as a person and like yeah. what he's capable of mm. from like even his, some of his like creations that I may not find like all that interesting. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, I know the brain behind who's creating that. Yeah. So it's, it's. I almost want to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's biased. Even if you're not as interested. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that's biased or if that's just, uh, I don't know. But uh, it's it's hard not to like a song by him. And mm-hmm. I hate to harp on this guy so much. but <laughs> <laughs> It's freaking good music. It is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's unreal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, how do you connect music to photography and video and the other sort of artistic mediums that you take part in. Okay. Um, um, it's video and music is easier probably to mm-hmm. compare just because they do cause uh, they happen across time. Yeah. Um, and there is a sort of drama to music, mm-hmm. uh, like a play or, I mean, yeah. you know, there's a climax and a beginning and, and, or, you know, all the, not in that order, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, and video can be somewhat of the same way. Like you want to make a, uh, if you're cutting in in uh, editing video, you want it to play out kind of like a, like a story, mm-hmm. even if it's something as simple as like a guitar cover where yeah. you're filming yourself, play the same piece from different angles and mm. putting it all together. Um, photography, um, Photography is really weird because <laughs> I would go out and anything that caught my eye was was something that I would just I would just explore. Yeah. And because of its immediate reward, like you can basically just take a picture of something, edit it a little bit, and it could be really pretty. Mm-hmm. Whereas music, like if I were to try to do that same thing with music, I'd be spending 12 hours a day on oh, my yeah. computer, you know, <laughs> and trying to get something of value out of a, a lot of time spent. Yeah. Because uh, I, I, you know it's, it's, it's a blessing and a curse, probably more so a curse, uh, mm-hmm. I think to be a perfectionist. <laughs> and I yeah. definitely would, uh, describe myself that way. It's partially the reason why I, I have a difficult time, uh, displaying some of the, my creations mm-hmm. publicly. Like even some of the stuff that I'm even proud of, I still have a hard time going yeah. like, uh, I don't know if it's ready, you know? So, <laughs> so with it, whereas photography, something can be kind of like, even if it's only mildly interesting, I can just put it out and, and not really care. It, it yeah. just feels like something I just captured. It doesn't feel like it's part of my soul. Yeah. You know, <laughs> music feels like that. Yeah. You've also like spent a smaller fraction of your life that's, dedicated to photography. That's than very true. To. Very true. Yes. That's, that's music feels deeply personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anything that I display to the world is, is almost like an overwhelming, like, when I do it, it's, it's, it's overwhelming, yeah. you know, cause I don't know how to react to that, what the response is or, um, cause it's, uh, when I write music, I'm, uh, I'm not considering anybody else. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's like, what do I find interesting and what I think is pretty and mm-hmm. what's inspiring me right now. Yeah. And it's, that's all me, Mm-hmm. You know, and there's not, I, I don't really collaborate with a lot of people. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it's, that's, that's an overwhelming kind of thing to try to put out there, I guess. Yeah. With composition, um, I guess, I don't know. It, it's, it's a weird thing for me cause like I'm primarily a composer. And mm-hmm. so like the separation between like performer and composer is very distinct oh yeah that's a huge difference huge so, difference so i guess like how how is that separation distinct or or not for you um when i'm composing uh it, the performance aspect is almost not even something you consider yeah 
uh, I don't. I think it would be a hindrance if you did consider it, like <laughs> yeah. from the from the, the get go. Like, can I play this? Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. like uh, you know, and you can do a lot with a DAW. Uh, mm. So, um, I I I try to like if I'm going to write something like a solo, uh, mm. there's a there's a process that goes into that, and um, there's a lot of cutting and and trying to ensure that it's it makes sense logically, and mm. uh, there's like a there's interesting ideas in every step of the way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like, if I, if I wrote a solo that I thought was really beautiful and really interesting, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't be that difficult to go back and learn it after the fact, Yeah, you know, like, so, so I'm mostly focused on what can I do? What can I create? That's interesting. Not yeah. so much. What can I play like right off the top of my head, <laughs> yeah. you know? <laughs> improvising is a little bit different yeah because uh, that was the next thing i was going to ask about yep exactly <laughs> so uh improvisation is something that i've uh i've always wanted to be good at mm-hmm. um even when i was younger because i i like you know it started learning when i learned with the major scales for the first time like all five mm-hmm. you know the, the cage system on yeah, my yeah. guitar and getting to getting familiar with that made a big difference and in the beginning of like the like just in the beginning of learning the cage system, it was like okay, throw a one four five backing track on and noodle over it for a while, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I would do to improvise. And like in my in my mind, it was like, oh, this sounds cool. Like I've never done this before because everything sounds like it fits, you yeah. know. But as I I would make videos of that to myself just to look and, and then I would analyze them after the fact and go, God, this is not interesting. <laughs> this is the most boring play I've ever heard in my life, you know? Mm. And I would hear these guitar players come out and elicit these colors from their mm. music and go, how are they doing that? Yeah. And uh, it's only been, I mean, I've been playing guitar for uh, roughly 14 years or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's only been in the last uh, year or two that I've really been began to understand how to draw forth like the color, yeah, you know, like, mm-hmm. I, I, like chord tones and, and, mm. and changing scales while you're playing uh, to, to draw forth like what you want from the music, as opposed to just playing over something like in a grid way and, mm-hmm. and, and not really being all that interesting to listen to, yeah. you know? So <laughs> you, you keep bringing up color in a, audible <laughs> like yeah or oral context so yeah. like what does color mean okay. in music yeah so it's uh that's like the heart like this is something that my brother and i've talked about a lot because <laughs> my brother he plays music as well mm-hmm. um uh but he kind of makes fun of me for saying color all the time <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, it, and i don't mean to confuse people like i don't experience photisms i'm not mm. someone who's sitting around listening to music and like oh green blue yeah, yeah. Red, you know, it's not that it's just that, um, like when I hear something that's like entirely diatonic, mm-hmm. it, it, it's bland and it doesn't like, it can be pretty, but it's not, yeah. it's not uh colorful to me. And, um, sorry, diatonic meaning, uh, in, the, like the only the notes in the scale. Yeah. Of the scale. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, and like, like an extreme example, like jazz, if you mm. listen to like some like giant steps or something, right? Yeah. All right. So like that would be like nth level degree color, yeah, it's, right? It's incredibly complex and uses every note. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, that I would describe that almost like abstract art. Like I would compare it to like abstract yeah, yeah. art. It's like, it's like throwing out colors and just trying to cr- like create mm-hmm. some sort of imagery of, of everything. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. It's a really awesome piece to listen to. Um, but somewhere in between like uh, a blank canvas and giant steps yeah, yeah. there's like there's a, there's like a uh, there's a world where you can uh you can paint a picture or you can mm-hmm. you can draw uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say but basically um you can hear a song or a solo and as it's progressing go yeah that's interesting that's interesting that's cool and then one note might come out mm-hmm. and that note strikes like uh something in you mm-hmm. i don't know what that is <laughs> and you know i i i'm I, I understand theory fairly well i can read music and i can do all that stuff but i, I have a difficult time describing mm-hmm. in a theoretical way what i'm experiencing yeah uh and so that makes it difficult in terms of communication yeah but um but 
I mean, to give some example, like I, I listen to a lot of Meshuga, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and if I were to describe their color in reference <laughs> to other things, right? It's they draw forth uh, a color that is not something I hear in a lot of music mm-hmm. ever. Um, I think it's part of the reason why I like them so much. And I think a lot of it just is, if I could guess based on like uh, theory. I think that they're they're using some interesting scales, like mm. they're using some interesting uh, compositional techniques, especially rhythmically. Mm. Obviously, that's like their main thing. But yeah, um, yeah uh, it's it's a hard thing to describe, and it's almost like if if you've never seen purple your entire life, and then suddenly you see like the purplest thing. Yeah, it's, it's like whoa. Yeah, this is like music is very contextual. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like you like. Um, one chord by itself is nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a chord and it's pretty, mm-hmm. or even a note by itself, like a pitch. Mm-hmm. That's like nothing. A pitch compared to another pitch makes some interesting color, right? Mm-hmm. A pitch compared to another pitch is like even it could be a different type of color. Yeah. But then you put them in a series in a certain order. Mm-hmm. That makes a, that draws a picture that that creates yeah, exactly. imagery that that in certain contexts can can surprise you in ways you've never considered and yeah. never heard it of anything like it so yeah. that's that, that's what i'm trying to i guess allude to yeah yeah <laughs> so uh last one on this front and then we'll get to the hard questions oh okay. <laughs> what advice do you have for people that are first starting out in music or even just creative endeavors in general however you want to um, give the advice <laughs> One thing that I think that uh, uh, new music students do too much is um, they try to adhere to the rules too mm-hmm. much. And like I'm guilty of this just as much as anybody else. <laughs> like when I first started to learn about theory, okay, how am I going to write this piece within theoretical mm-hmm. framework? And, you know, okay, I need a, a one chord here and a four chord and a seven over five or whatever, you know, there's yeah. all kinds of ways you can approach it. Um, like, I think your ear is your best friend when it comes to music. And I think that's, that's not any, I'm not telling anybody anything new at this point, but, um, also like, um, music school, uh, I think it provided me a tremendous amount of, uh, resources and, uh, and people to talk to about and like, and the time that I spent, like it helped me out a lot, Mm -hmm. but looking back, I don't know if I, I don't know if I need to spend the money to do it, you <laughs> yeah, know, man. like looking back, I'm like, man, I don't know if I needed to, to, to spend that money to, to go to music school. Cause I'm not, I'm not doing a music oriented job, you know? Like yeah, exactly. I, I was going to be a teacher, but teachers are not. Yeah. It's not like compensated very, much very well, you know? So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was a teacher for a while and that's just, especially here in Oklahoma, I have mm-hmm. a hard time with that. So yeah, maybe there's a way to gather all of the tools necessary without having to pay an institution a large amount of money. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're resourceful enough, the mm-hmm. internet is there, Yeah, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it, and you're going to have to do some research. You're going to have sure. to really try, uh, cause it's not like, uh, it's not condensed enough in a way that's easy to understand mm-hmm. by somebody who knows more than you. And they're trying, it's their job to make it easier for you to understand, uh, but if you, if you know how to go out and search out the, the subject you're wanting to learn, then by all means, like try that first Yeah, for a little while. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Hard questions. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> what is the role of spirituality or religion in your life? Um, spirituality, religion. I am, uh, I'm not really, uh, very religious, um, I, I was, a I grew up Christian and kind of had a, um, I don't know. I, 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 it's like the best way to describe this is, uh, is a story. I think, um, when I was in high school, I was, uh, I was dating this girl and obviously because I wanted to spend time with her, <laughs> I was going to church cause she went yeah, to church. Yeah. And, uh, this happened to be one of those churches where they like to speak in tongues. Mm. And so, uh, my first experience experiencing that firsthand <laughs> was pretty intense. Yeah. I, it was kind of jarring and, uh, that was sort of the inception point of me sort of beginning to question what I believed. And cause like I was at that point, I just, everybody around me kind of believed it and we didn't really talk about it. Yeah. So, um, I let that, I let that simmer for a while <laughs> and, uh, after, uh, 
after a while, I, I, I think I remember going to my mother and kind of asking her firsthand, like, hey, what do you think about this? And and I that day I found out my mother was an atheist. Oh. I didn't I didn't know that <laughs> yeah. for the longest time. Like she was she was always just kind of supportive, like whatever I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But she never really talked to me about it. And then then when I found that out, that was like kind of surprising. And and then I sat on it for a couple more years. And eventually <laughs> I was just like, Yeah, no, I don't believe any of this. <laughs> so <laughs> uh I think that spirituality uh when thought of like in a semi-logical way can, can be really rewarding and, and beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, based on some of the philosophy I've read and, uh, I mean, I do, I have a great appreciation for like secular Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I remember having a really, imp- a really great impact on my life was like coming to the understanding that like life is suffering and yeah, like that kind of, kind of coming to the understanding that, you're not supposed to be having a happy time all the time, <laughs> you know, like life is supposed to, I think the default state of existence is kind of one of, uh, of, of hardship. Mm. And if you're not in that, then you should be happy and you should be grateful. Mm. So that's, that's been one that's been, uh, really helpful for me Yeah, to, to cope with anything really. Mm-hmm. I guess, how did you, how did you, how did you reach that point? Because like, I know for me, like, I hit the like hard atheist yeah. bottom and then like worked my way back up. So like where, yeah, I, where did the secular Buddhism sort of, I, I did the same, I life? did the exact same thing. Yeah. I, I went super angstiest with it, you know, you know, <laughs> that's the first time I've heard that one. That's good. Yeah. That's one of my favorite terms. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I got, I, you know, growing up, uh, like teenage years, 18, 19, I was like, Oh yeah. I'm, I can't believe I've been lied to this my whole life. And <laughs> yeah. told, you know, I don't think looking back now, like I think that's uh that's definitely like a, a teenager's response to to coming to conclusion or coming to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um I think I think spirituality in and of itself can be ex- extremely rewarding for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think it's anybody's, you know, responsibility to tell what tell people what to think or how to think, especially yeah. based on the, com- the fact that com- the culture and like your own life experience could be so influential. Yeah. Um, so it's like coming to like, I think I came to the, I was always really interested in philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, like growing up, my, my mom pushed that on me a lot and I read a lot of books and, and any sort of like hardship I may have experienced that was kind of like my route to trying to figure it out was maybe read some books on some philosophers or something. Yeah. And, um, what at a, a certain moment in my life when I was going through some really hardcore, like, uh, suffering, I, uh, I sought out, uh, Buddhism as a, and, and meditation as a way of, um, maybe escaping it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, getting to the point where I sort of, once I read that thing, like life is suffering, mm-hmm. like, I don't know that maybe that was another epiphany. Maybe yeah, that was yeah. just, that was a defining moment, mm-hmm. uh, where it totally changed the way I, I, I thought about things. And, um, and I think it tremendously helped me. In fact, now I see people, friends and family and who, who don't understand that like mm-hmm. innately and they have a hard time dealing with some of the, either the life decisions they made or, or some of the, like the, the harder things that they're enduring and, and they almost see it like, like the world is putting it upon them. Like, yeah. like it's, and if they just understood that simple fact that it would be a lot easier to sort of surmount that, that difficult uh, experience. Yeah. So. <laughs> what is your definition of God? Um, yeah, I don't, <laughs> that's a, that's a cool one. Uh, <laughs> let me think about that. <laughs> Like I, I've, I've defined God in my own ways in some ways as time has progressed. Um, I don't, I definitely don't think it's a person or, mm-hmm. uh, or a, uh, like an entity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's a, it would seem to me like it's an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost don't even like the term God sure. for it because, uh, it's, it's a big thing. Like, I mean, I had a philosophy professor in college who, who kind of described, uh, he described the network that your social network around you, almost like God, like Mm. the people that you surround yourself with and then the people that they surround themselves with. And then, then that, that spider web that sort of branches out, um, beyond you as like, that's a form of God or, you know, so, you know, I don't, (laughs) 
I don't believe in sort of any divine intervention or anything like that. Um, and God, um, whether it is a real thing or not, whether this is like a totally void <laughs> universe of any sort of anything like that, or if it's there, or if there is something like that, I'm not sure, but, um, yeah, I, I, my definition of God is, is, is the, the, the greater things around you, I, yeah. you know, like that's all it can be to me because mm. I don't really see anything else. Yeah. Like there, there's like the, there's like that, uh, that old, um, what is it like an argument, I guess, about the God of the gaps. I don't know mm -hmm. if you've ever heard of that, yeah, but, yeah. you know, and like, I have a hard time sort of going like everything I don't understand, that's God, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, cause yeah. like that gets increasingly smaller as, as society progresses. Mm -hmm. And I don't like the idea of if there is a God, that that's what it is. Sure. It's an ever smaller, smaller thing. Mm -hmm. it, the more knowledge we acquire over time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, it's a hard thing to, d to define for anybody, mm -hmm. I think. And, uh, it's just, it's that to me. I, I don't know if I even made a point, but, but, that's, but that's exactly like, <laughs> that's, that's how I love hearing the answer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What is free will and do you believe in it? That is a harder, <laughs> harder question. Do I believe in free will? Um, I don't know if I do. Hmm. Uh, and like, I think that free will uh, I, th I think that there is a degree of influence you have over it. Uh, but I don't think that free will is, uh, is something that we all have 100% control of. Mm -hmm. uh, something that I also get made fun of by my younger brother uh, <laughs> for saying all the time is that we are the product of our past experiences and our genetic makeup. Yep. I say that constantly. So uh, you heard it here first. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I've, I've said that a lot on the podcast. Anyway, okay. So yeah. cool. Yeah. That, so, so you did hear it for here first from him. <laughs> but no. Um, yeah. Uh, so if if that is the case, it's hard to believe that some people who have schizophrenia or um, people who are just who can't control their basic urges or mm. it's hard to believe that they're doing that willfully. Hmm. Like, I, I, I mean, schizophrenia is a really good example because it's like there's nobody trying to hear voices. Yeah. You know, and and they're obviously influenced by that that aspect of their their uh, biochemistry hmm. and their their brain chemistry. So, you know, I, you know, I also think of motivation as a really good thing to think about because mm -hmm. where does motivation come from? Yeah. And uh, in my own life, when I have been motivated to do what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, whether like when it comes to composing or playing music, there have mm -hmm. been times in my life where I felt completely demotivated to yeah. do it. And I felt like it was just this thing. I, I do not want to do this. Yeah. So it, it, to what degree do I have the control over my motivation? Mm -hmm. You know, um, if, if I'm going to, if I want to be playing music, if I want to be doing it, but I, I just have no desire to do it, mm -hmm. then it, it, I you you almost have to rely on discipline at that point, and if yeah. you don't have discipline, then you're kind of just hoping <laughs> that your brain will tell you that you want to do it today. Yeah, you yeah. know, so that was um, the, the my struggle with motivation was a really uh, kind of eye opening I think experience for me in terms of what free will is and mm -hmm. like what you have how you have control over it. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> what happens when we die? <laughs> no that's fine uh, your guess is as good as mine um i don't think anybody knows there's no mm -hmm. way anybody knows and if anybody tells you they do know they're lying to you mm -hmm. um even if people even if people say like oh yeah i had a near-death experience like anecdotal evidence isn't all that mm -hmm. great of uh resource to let it be known that i am right now altering the question to say what do you think happens when we die <laughs> okay there we go that's that works uh, go ahead. <laughs> so uh yeah um what do i think happens when we die um hmm i would say uh my bet is that it all kind of ends that's that's mm -hmm. you know i i have no clue um and life after death doesn't seem to make a lot of sense when we see our loved ones, you know, mm -hmm. in their caskets or, uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I'm not, I have no clue, but, um, I do believe that you should 
live a way that uh, that is uh, good to your fellow humans and, you know, not even just in case, but because <laughs> like, I think that's an argument too. It's like, well, mm-hmm. live this way, live to be good. Just be just Pas- in case. Pascal's wager. Exactly. Yeah. I was just about to say that, but um, I, I think that's kind of a, a shitty <laughs> way of thinking about it. Fear it, of hell uh, is not a good yeah. reason to make you a good person. Yeah. No, I think being a good person should just make you feel good. And so mm-hmm. that in and of itself should be enough uh, motivation to yeah. pursue it. Which is actually the next question. How do you determine what good behavior is? Um, that's that's relative, right? <laughs> that's that's very relative. So, um, what you know, if you think what you think is good is is not what everybody thinks is good, mm-hmm. and so you really all you can do is roll the dice and hope that what you're doing is is uh, is is in accordance with whatever might potentially be the greater powers <laughs> you know sure. yeah uh so i mean me personally i think that anything that makes me feel good is is i mean within reason <laughs> yeah. uh like innately feel good I, I don't know if that's a good way to put it but right. like you i think you know when, yeah. you're, when you're doing something bad i think mm-hmm. you know when you're doing something good and heroin seems pretty great exactly yeah exactly <laughs> see like that's a great example of, so i you know personally i would never do heroin and <laughs> i it would probably make me feel amazing uh but for the short term and i think i have enough no uh, enough sense to know that that will not lead down a path of yeah exactly of, of good good uh it wouldn't benefit my family it wouldn't benefit me it would mm-hmm. it would be very much an immediate reward yeah that would just not last and it's not worth the 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 consequences sure. like everything has consequences you know so exactly <laughs> how do we reduce the division reduce the division in society um that's a, i assume you're alluding to yeah um, basically yeah <laughs> um that's really hard because uh personally i think a lot of the division in society is a result of uh social media mm-hmm um, and I'm, I don't think that we're going to get rid of social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's part of our society now and it's this new sort of, um, it's, it's changed the framework of how we interact with each other. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to get rid of that. Um, you know, it's it, <laughs> education maybe, I yeah. think, I think education is probably the best way to go about it, but that's going to take, that's a long time investment. Yeah. Uh, I, I already think that we don't in, invest enough in the education in this country. I, I think that's pretty evident. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also biased in that, in that belief because part of my degree was in education, but, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think education is probably the best way about it. Cause I think a lot of the problems in society are based on the fact that too far too many people don't have, um, knowledge outside of a 20 mile radius of, outside their house. And not that that's a bad thing. It's just that, I feel like life experience, one of the greatest things that ever defined me was traveling outside of this country and mm. living in a different culture for a little while. And, yeah. um, that was like probably the most eye opening experience I've ever, I've ever gone through. And, yeah. and I think that there's, I've met far too many people who have lived in the same town their whole life and, and they don't have the mind or the, the influence to help them understand that like it's not it's not good to to feel self-righteous in the fact that you you believe only what you believe and mm-hmm. like it's i think you, we all need each other yeah and and it's it's hard when half of us are not up to par mm-hmm. if that makes any sense and i don't want to sound like condescending or <laughs> i really i you know it, i understand that that not everybody has the same access to these resources and and that's partially partially also a problem but um but i do think education is probably the, the best way to 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 smaller small the divide or yeah, yeah. that's but that's not a good way of putting it but yeah <laughs> uh do you believe humans are evil by nature? No, I don't think anybody's evil by nature. Um, I think that there are people who um, who have a bad uh, past experience or many bad past experiences, maybe a bad genetic makeup. Um, it's hard to 
believe that evil is a real thing. Mm. Um, even if we take the, the hardest amongst us, like it can all be, uh, justified by genetic makeup and past experience. It feels like not that no, not, that doesn't mean that these people shouldn't be somewhat punished or kept mm. away from society. Like I think prisons are somewhat necessary. Um, but I don't think that, I don't think that people are inherently evil. And I also do think that everyone is, is, is capable of the same degree of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, like you and I, or anybody else, we, we all have evil as a capacity within us. Yeah. And that's something that you have to be really aware of and, uh, try to mitigate to the best of your ability. Like, you know, uh, society couldn't function if we allowed people to go off doing whatever they wanted. Yeah. But, um, at the same time, uh, I don't think that it's in, I don't think there's inherent evil. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, I think it's more complicated than that. Yeah. So now moving, well, it depends how you answer this next question, but, <laughs> okay. uh, what do you think humanity is heading towards for the future? I think there's going to, um, I mean, it depends on what time frame we're talking about. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, ultimately, if we're talking like long, 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 long term, <laughs> I think there's definitely mass extinction and, and <laughs> at some point or another. Yeah. Uh, in the next 10 years, um, that's a hard one to think about, too. I mean, I worry about global warming. Um, I worry about... Uh, I worry about America, like, uh, in terms of, and there is a, a drastic polarization happening right now mm-hmm. in our society, not, and, and it hasn't really been helped by our current sitting president, but, yeah. um, yeah, there's no, I mean, I, it's hard to predict the future. Obviously I do. I, I think it's inevitable that there will be another mass extinction event. I think that history has mm-hmm. kind of proven that, but. I don't, there's no way of knowing when that will happen or how sure. it will happen. I mean, COVID has kind of given us some, uh, kind of dipped our toes into the, yeah. the deep end of the pool a little bit, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of gives us all a little, uh, self-awareness and realization. Mm-hmm. So that's something to consider. Um, but yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, obviously. Like, I hope that I obviously have the, all the greatest hopes for us and I hope we can do something about it, but yeah, overpopulation really makes me, it's something that I always think about, um, I saw this graph one time where they were talking about how I think it was anytime human, sorry, the human race uh, acquires more resources, mm-hmm. um, our population rises to match. Like, let's say we like, we're, if we had the same, uh, population right now with the same resources that we have now, or sorry, if our population was that of world war two or like post world mm-hmm. war two, but we had the same resources we have now in a hundred years, that will not be the case anymore. Like mm-hmm. there will be more people to yeah. match and rise with that level of increase. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we don't, we don't ever like get more resources and then go, all right, we're good now yeah. for a while and like distribute them pretty evenly or whatever we can, <laughs> not to sound like communist or anything, but, uh, but so, yeah, I think it's inherent for, uh, I think human nature is, and we basically just consume as much as we can. And there's not really a easy way to, escape that Mm. um i don't know where i was going with that sorry (laughs) (laughs) well no i mean it's just like now the resources are what they are and the population keeps growing so (laughs) yeah Uh, overpopulation is something that i don't know how we're going to address that going forward there's i think nature will inevitably inevitably kick in and yeah flatten the curve a little bit so A different usage of the term the curve than you've heard lately. Yeah, yeah, that's not really a, a very uh, optimistic one, but <laughs> I think it's realistic. Yeah. Well, then, speaking of optimism, what are you optimistic about for our future? Um, what am I optimistic about? <laughs> I definitely tend to be, I consider myself, you know, I don't know if it's true, but I consider myself more a realist. Um, but I am optimistic about the fact that... Um, that it would seem Joe Biden might be our next president. That's, you know, I'm not so much that I'm like wholeheartedly for Joe Biden, but because I don't like the fact that I don't like Trump Hmm. and uh, I don't think that he's, you know, I I can't really speak so much about his policymaking, but I can speak to his demeanor and the way he's treated people and the way he's 
created this divide and it's very much based in narcissism and yeah. and so i'm happy that that's that that, that was a very elated or elated elated moment for me mm-hmm. i guess um so um that's something that i'm i'm positive thinking about going forward um and yeah i'm i'm I want things to go well, but you know, who knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what makes you content? Oh, that's, that's a great question. <laughs> um, can, I think that's what you should always strive for. Mm. Contentedness is like, that's, that's, that's happiness. Mm. Um, cause like the highs are fleeting and the lows are, are not fun, you know? So, um, when I am content, when I feel happy and, if I'm, I don't need a lot to be feel content. To be honest, um, if I have my uh, a bed to sleep in and uh, people that you know I get to interact that I feel loved by and uh, I get to express myself, mm-hmm. um, I I don't really need a lot of materialistic stuff. Um, other than like the basic necessities to do that, which makes me happy, like yeah. play guitar yeah. and. <laughs> um, uh, I like a good meal every now and then. So that's, yeah. you know, that's, but I think that's natural. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, uh, feeling loved and having people that you treasure around you, um, and just, uh, and just somewhere to feel comfortable yeah. that, that all that stuff makes me feel really content. And that's, if I'm not going through like a really hardcore hardship in life, then that is like, I'm ecstatic. That's yeah. my, that's my heaven right there. Awesome. <laughs> When will you be satisfied? Man, when will I be satisfied? Uh, I don't have like this devouring, all uh, engrossing sort of like sensation to to not feel satisfied. I, uh, <laughs> so, uh, and I think this alludes back to what I was just saying, which that I, I do generally feel fairly content. Um, now, I would feel more satisfied if I were able to put together like a really uh, epic project like artistic project Mm -hmm. that would be very satisfying for me uh to kind of um place my mark in the ground in some ways like artistically yeah uh if i could because like like i said before like music writing music is so time consuming and if i could actually like get the time the free time to really put something together that i was really proud of that would be yeah extremely satisfying absolutely (laughs) <laughs> what advice do you have for people in general um that's, that's i have i have something for that too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i think probably the most important thing that um that i have noticed in my conversations with people um is that um i i hear the either or fallacy more mm-hmm. than anything else and i I really want people to understand that things are not black and white. Yeah. Um, I think that the world is always on a spectrum for the most part. There are some like absolutes in life. It's hard to really define what they are. Um, maybe if I thought about it for a second, I could probably give an example, but, um, in my opinion, like everything's a spectrum. And I, whenever I have, when I'm faced with people asking me to like, well, what do you think about this or this? Mm-hmm. I, or you either think this or you think this, I kind of like go, I roll my eyes. I'm like, I mean, that's a, there's, there are situations where that's true, but there's also people, I think I feel people are prone to disregard the, the nuance mm-hmm. and, um, and that would help. I think even maybe even with the division that we're going through right now is if people were a little bit more aware of, yeah. The fact that we're not just a two-party system. I mean, we are, but there's more to life yeah. and more to think about in very many variables. <laughs> there's a lot of variables. So it's mm-hmm. hard to, like when I hear people like wholeheartedly for one thing or one side of the, the fence and it kind of drives me crazy because it's like you're basically being fed your opinions and mm-hmm. and expressing them back into the pool. Like that's, I mean, that, that's okay if that's what you actually believe, I guess, but <laughs> I don't know. Last one, potentially most importantly, cake or pie? Cake or pie. Um, you know, ironically, I'm not a big sweet eater. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to go probably with cake, I guess, but like no frosting. Wow. Uh, yeah, like frosting. <laughs> oh, I can't, I can't handle. 
I can't handle frost. I like the cake part, but uh, yeah, like maybe a very small amount of frosting. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I don't really have a pretty uh, in-depth answer for this one. So. Based on all of the other answers that you've given, that actually makes a lot of sense. So <laughs> that's interesting. I, I would never have made that. Made, I would never have assumed that. But yeah, that's interesting. Brendan, thank you so much for doing this with me. Where can we find you and your things? Uh, yeah, so uh, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, my my username is Brendan. Scott. It's B-R-Y-N-D-O-N dot S-C-O-T-T. That's like my private page. So if uh, if you're interested in hearing some of my music, that's on there. Um, and then I do have two photography pages that I sort of run. Um, one of them is just B-S-Y dot photo. And the other one is B-S-Y dot portrait. I, I definitely update the photo one more because mm. I especially with COVID, I haven't had a lot of time to go <laughs> interact out. with humans. <laughs> yeah. And hanging out with a lot of humans. So like, yeah, the portrait stuff is, has been kind of on hold, but I definitely, uh, I haven't updated in a while, but, but I definitely have a, actually future projects already planned to update both. So, um, that's probably where you'll best find me. Sweet. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. No, I'm Santiago Ramones. I'm Brendan York. You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music. Bloom is available now, streaming everywhere. Put it on in the background or show it to your friends so you can all enjoy it together. You can also buy it on Bandcamp and get bonus content so you can sit alone in the dark with your headphones on and listen to the album in its entirety while reading and looking at the bonus content. I also make music with PowerCycle, an experimental electronic trio. Our first completely improvised album, Too Many Damn Cables, is streaming everywhere. To support this podcast, leave reviews, comments, tell your friends about it, and buy my music, because by supporting me, you're supporting the podcast. I always end the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are, love never fails, it's going to be okay, I might be wrong. <laughs>